Hey, this is Daryl with a quick reminder. If you're a Major League Soccer fan and you're not listening to MLS Assist, you're doing it wrong. Fix it now. Go and find MLS Assist, click subscribe, and you will get daily shows covering every game at the MLS Is Back tournament. It's part of the Athletic Podcast Network. It's produced by the Total Soccer Show. It's 100% free to listen to. And every time someone else listens, they know more about soccer than you do. So you've got to listen just to catch up, just to keep up with the conversation. So it's MLS Assist. Find it, subscribe to it, enjoy it, and thank me later. Welcome to the Total Soccer Show. My name is Daryl Grove and I'm joined by a man whose exclusive broadcast rights are not held by CBS, at least not yet anyway. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Not yet. The development deal is in the works though and then we'll see what happens. Is that right? No. Hi buddy, how are you doing? Is it, a, it better not be a solo project. Hey, uh, did I not mention that to you? I, I am oh, watching no. a solo spinoff show. It's called the Comprehensive Soccer Show. Uh, the Comprehensive <laughs> <yes>. Soccer Show. <laughs> oh no! Yeah, you're gonna leave me like Lou and Davis wandering around on my own. Yeah, it is awkward that I'm doing it with an Englishman named Gary as well, uh, who I am <laughs> legally requiring to change his name to Garrel, Though that's gonna be awkward. Garrel. Yeah. Garrel's a great name. Great name. <laughs> All right, lots to talk about on today's show. We have listener questions to answer from all about all kinds of subjects, including should there be a salary cap in the big European leagues? I'm thinking of putting that one in the title, Taylor, because oh. that feels like a really oh, I can't wait. One. I can't wait for the the 14 no responses to people who didn't listen to the show. Oh I, yeah, I like to do it just because people think I'm asking that question on Twitter when we post the episode. That's my favorite yeah. is people who respond usually with rude responses or like three word responses as though like oh thank you for that that was that was why we put it out there i appreciate your response you know what there's no such thing as a bad social media interaction uh disagree strongly (laughs) (laughs) all right so i mentioned cbs at the top of the show uh for two reasons one we are at the end of the nwsl challenge cup group stage we have the quarterfinals the quarterfinals will all be on cbs all access starting july 17th and then july 18th two games each day it's the north carolina courage against the portland thorns which is a great quarterfinal houston dash versus utah royals washington spirit versus sky blue fc ol rain versus chicago red stars i think we've committed taylor via text message or phone Mm -hmm. call i can't remember which one it was that we're going to do a big review show of all four games maybe on saturday or sunday yes i believe that is correct and before that time uh, i'm going to be talking to kim mccauley tomorrow to preview those games talk a little bit about what has happened and how we've gotten here but then looking ahead to those games and what uh, she expects there all right. And then also on CBS All Access, it was announced a few days ago now, um, the UEFA Champions League and I believe Europa League. So we heard that Turner had kind of said, we don't want the rights anymore. No, take thank you. So somebody take them. CBS, we're going to pick things up starting 2021-22 season. They have picked up the sort of the weird coronavirus Champions League that's going to happen from August onwards. <laughs> um, and next season's, I'm going to guess, still half weird coronavirus Champions League. Yeah, I think it's going to be really great to hear Thomas Rongen predict Arsenal to go all the way in the Champions League. I can't wait for that to happen. <laughs> no comment from here. No comment nope. from here. All right. Um, I will say this. If you um, are considering getting CBS All Access, I guess now is the time, right? Challenge Cup knockout games where, you know, where it's sort of uh, it's, it's win or go home. 
kind of literally. Um, and then Champions League starting in August. And Taylor, I'm here to report Star Trek Picard, probably worth the investment. You think? Only just, but yes. I mean, it has moments of grandeur and moments when it loses its nerve towards the end. But for me, as a Picard slash Next Generation fan, it was worth it. And thank you to NWSO Challenge Cup for giving me the excuse to watch Star Trek Picard. Loses its nerve. Now I'm fascinated. Because yes. Star Trek always had those weird episodes where like Worf became a spider, I think, happened at some <laughs> point. Like, So that's kind of what I was expecting. I'm going to assume it's a bit more serious then. Yeah, I mean, so I don't want to get too spoilery, but essentially the premise of the whole thing is that the Federation has lost its values mm-hmm. and also Picard has an incurable illness and that gives the whole thing this real gravitas that makes it really emotional and gives it some really gigantic like uh picard and his sort of uh, morality and ethics moments and then it the, the show kind of backtracks on both things towards the uh, towards the end of the season. But even though that was really disappointing, it's definitely worth it for the high points along the way. I really hope they've gone like the Shatner route, and it's basically from what you've just described: old man Logan finds a whale, and then things are fine. Is that is that what they do? <laughs> yeah, and they they find um, a magical hair growth formula for ninety four year old John Luke Picard. <laughs> Uh, all right, okay. I, I'm into that. I'm into that. That does sound a suspicious amount like Old Man Logan, uh, but I, I, I think I can handle that. <laughs> all right, moving on. Uh, they got we got more TV news. Um, the Premier League. There is a what? There's a Chelsea Norwich game happening right now. Mm-hmm. Christian Pulisic has an assist. We'll be talking about Pulisic and Chelsea tomorrow when we also do our sort of US Men's National Team transfers edition. Right. I don't think we'll be talking about any Pulisic transfers. He is currently living the very best version of his transfer to Chelsea. Yes, and maybe in other timelines, we're talking about him moving to an even larger club for even more money. Not this yeah. time around, but he won't feature, <laughs> but we'll be looking at either transfers that have been sort of suggested as happening or there are rumors that could happen, but then some maybe that we think should happen or players that yes. we, we wouldn't mind getting a move. And then here's the other big TV news that we're throwing a lot at you at the start of this episode. I'm very aware, but I think this is all worth knowing. If you're trying to watch the Premier League on Wednesday, July 15th, it's all going to be on Peacock, which is NBC's new streaming service. Um, I think it's fr- I'm pretty confident it's free. You just have to sign up for an account at PeacockTV.com. I think this is NBC. This is NBC's big ploy to get as many people signed up to Peacock as possible. They're sort of going to grab all the Premier League fans and essentially force you to watch on Peacock for one day only. Hooray. Do we know how to do that? Is it basically just install the app for free and then all the games are there? Uh, at least to begin with, yeah. Okay. And I know that there's like a, there's a free version of Peacock that you can use uh, going forward. It just has some ads in it. And then there's a paid tier as well. I think in the future you'll need the paid tier to watch the Premier League games that are on Peacock. But to begin with, the Premier League games will be free. Um, my source there is the head of microwave programming. <laughs> <laughs> microwave oven uh, program and TV development? Is that what it was? It was something very strange that seemed like it had been uh, miscombined, but was not. Yep. So set your microwave for 90 minutes <laughs> around 1pm and you'll see Newcastle Spurs, Burnley Wolves. So I'll be doing this to watch Wolves. Um, Man City, Bournemouth. And then set it again at 3.15 for Arsenal, Liverpool. Remember, uh, it's 45 minutes. Um, then you've got to give it a stir for 15 minutes. Of course. And then it's another 45 minutes. Also, please don't cook anything in the microwave for 90 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and don't put metal in the science oven. No. Everybody knows that you Everybody knows do that. that. Everybody knows that. And hit what? stop before you hit uh, the release button. I've also learned that recently. Definitely do is that. that. 
Can you get? I, I think you can get away with it. Uh, I believe. I believe I read. Uh, not. I, I read. I shouldn't say. I believe I read. I read a a story about like scientists who were researching like naturally occurring radiation, and they kept detecting these weird semi regular spikes. And they realized it was people not hitting stop and just releasing the microwave, and they would get tiny, wow. tiny little emissions. I don't think enough to actually cause any damage, but still. Yeah. I think any radiation, there's a ton of it naturally occurring, I'm aware. But still, I'm going to stay away uh, from the microwave kind. Well, we didn't plan it this way, but that's a pretty good segue into another thing I wanted to talk about. Ah, um, right. Yeah. Much like Randall in Clerks, mm-hmm. I was not supposed to be here today. No, no you were not. Like Dante, like Dante in mm-hmm. Clerks, I was not supposed to be here today. I was supposed to be having uh, my radiation therapy, which I'd mentioned on the show before. We have hit an insurance snag, let's call it. <laughs> me and my insurance company... In America? No. Are in, ...are in disagreement with my insurance company, and that has pushed back uh, the radiation treatment that I'm going to be having. But let's put it this way. I'm going to make sure to get it one way or another, yeah. whether insurance wants to get involved or not. So it's been postponed a little bit, but I think it's still going to happen. That's the quick uh, Daryl radiation update. Although uh, now I'm thinking maybe yeah. I could try just opening my microwave door very strategically. Yeah. <laughs> get a bunch of lead vests, <laughs> cover all the areas except for the one spot you need them to go. And then I think <laughs> you're good. I think you've, you're at home radiation treatment. I don't see what could go wrong. It's actually three spots, so you're not going to be in charge of this radiation treatment. <laughs> I mean, that was my fallback uh, if the comprehensive soccer show didn't work out. But I understand. I understand. Yeah, let's stick to what you do best, right, Taylor? And one of the things you do do best is analyze Premier League games. So before we get in all of today's listener questions, which, again, very excited about, mm-hmm. I want to talk about, and I'm assuming you want to talk about, Manchester United's 2-2 draw with Southampton. It kind of had all the things that get me excited. Um, It had uh, moments of magic from Manchester United's really exciting attack. It had the pressing from Southampton, Mm -hmm. and it had a late equaliser from Southampton. So it finished 2-2. What would you like to talk about from this game, Taylor? I think uh, now that they've dropped points, Ole out again, right? That's where we are? No, No. we're not doing this, are we? Uh, No, we're not. Instead, we're going to talk about Paul Pogba. I think that's the player I would like to focus on uh, for both the positives and the negatives uh, on display in this game. Okay. Oh, I'm sorry, just to set the picture in a big, big way. Mm-hmm. If Man United had won this game, Leicester's lost to, I want to say Bournemouth, meant that Man United yep. would have gone top four, which is what they need to do to get a Champions League spot now that Man City are not banned from the Champions League, which we're not going to go into because you and Ryan addressed it on Monday. We show, did. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but so you, you think this game revolves around Paul Pogba. So let's yes. talk about why. Sure. I, I, and I think that there are adjustments early that, that require Pogba to be a little bit tighter on the ball and sharper on the ball. But basically that Southampton opener for people who missed it, it comes from David De Gea playing a ball into Paul Pogba's feet. He sort of tries to turn with it, I think, is unaware of where Danny Ings is. I think it's Danny Ings yeah. applying the pressure, loses the challenge, probably also fouls Danny Ings, but... Uh, referee allows to play play to go on it's a great cross in and it ends up in a goal from Armstrong but it is Pogba sort of being dispossessed there and being a little bit lax in front of goal on the ball that causes that initial problem yep very mixed discarude versus Czech Republic for yeah. the US men's national team yeah. reference a deep cut uh, reference but I like it all the same <laughs> That, I think that I think you're right. That obviously definitely is what happened. I think that's a really good example. Danny Ings' tackle on Pogba when Pogba wasn't even aware that he was there. I think is a really good example of how good Southampton's high press is under Ralph Hasenhutl. But I would I would argue that um, this is credit to Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. I think he fixes what happened to Paul Pogba after that Armstrong goal. 
Mm-hmm. I, I would not disagree with you there, uh, but before we get to how he fixes it, I would like to just give credit to Danny Ings one more time, not just for the yeah. pressure, but the way he goes about applying it. I think he recognizes Pogba is going to kind of like shift his weight onto, onto his right side and then turn with his left and go the opposite way. It's a Pogba it, signature, right? It's it a signature is. move. And, I, and maybe that's the problem, <laughs> is that it's such a signature maybe. move that I think he reads it. Danny Ings, also to his credit, recognizes that in that sort of 50-50 shoulder battle, he's probably not going to win. And so what he <laughs> He, does do. he measured the shoulders and he was like, nope. Yeah, those are bigger. Uh, so instead, <laughs> he steps, like he kind of adjusts his run so that as Pogba turns, Danny Ings is turning with him and basically steps between him and the ball, which is why Pogba yeah. can't then use that physicality and really does end up sort of clipping him in trying to desperation make a play. Because I think he's also keenly aware that with the way United are set up, they've got sort of numbers committing forward at that point because that's what they've been told to do. So basically losing that ball, it's not just that he loses it like the 20 yards from goal or so, it's also that he loses it at a time time when the team is transitioning to attack and that is when you're at your most vulnerable all right so i guess we go narrative of the game here right because this is southampton one nil up quite early Mm -hmm. man united obviously having trouble playing out of the back and this this goal being the very best example right because even though obviously a lot of blame and focus is on pogba here there were a lot of man united um giveaways through bad passes or just straight up being tackled or being caught unaware by Southampton players. There was a lot of that going around in the first 10-15 minutes. Yep. Southampton's plan was working. United couldn't play out. What I saw happen, either through a Solskjaer instruction or just an on-field decision, was Nemanja Matic moved from standing alongside Paul Pogba in the 4-2-3-1. He went and dropped between the Man United centre-backs who were, what, Lindelof and Maguire? Yep. Um, and to me, what this allowed to happen was it was Wan-Bissaka, the right-back, and Luke Shaw, the left-back, were allowed to go much higher and much wider and essentially give United width higher up the field it stretched everything out and then Man United could start finding the ball into the feet of Pogba and Matic under a little less pressure and sorry into the feet of Pogba especially Mm -hmm. um, under a little less pressure because there's more space and then he could start making things happen I think one of the goals I think it's the second goal both goals okay so let's talk talk through the first goal then how is is it involved in the first goal Uh, it's involved in the first goal just in terms of Paul Pogba sort of getting on the ball and has a little bit more space than he has had previously and is able to ping that ball in Anthony Martial that he then lays off from Marcus Rashford he Mm -hmm. whips the cross in yeah Yeah, there is so it's a lot of Southampton um They've compressed space on that right side. And what I was impressed with, just before we get to Pogba, yeah. was Man United did work themselves out of tight spaces. There was a one bissaka back heel, a Bruno mm-hmm. Fernandes-Cruyff, and then Mason Greenwood with just a very simple tapped pass. But in the end, yeah, Pogba just has time and space to put in an absolutely perfect cross. Yes, uh, he, he does. I think, though, like their, their moment before this, Man United basically, this entire sequence comes from a throw-in that they get uh, on like the far side of the field. And it's Pogba, again, trying to do too much. And the ball ends up going off a Southampton player, but he gets an earful from his teammates, and I think you can see his frustration there. And I remember yeah. thinking, like, at the time, not knowing what was going to happen, being like, ooh, this could be a bad performance from him. And I just highlight that to then focus on that, like, a minute later, he plays this inch-perfect pass that is really difficult to hit through traffic over the top, but into the feet of Anthony Martial. And I think you can see how he has that poise that maybe, say, uh, Graham Souness thinks he does not. <laughs> Absolutely, right? And it's a good example of changing up your game to suit the situation, right? Adapting to what's going on around you. Because honestly, if you'd given me this game on paper... 
I would have said that Southampton's press is really good, but Paul Pogba is pretty press resistant yep. and he'll do a good job of shaking off Southampton's press and maybe getting himself out of trouble and springing some attacks. In the end, he wasn't able to do that, but then he's able to contribute in a different mm-hmm. way when Man United wisely change their approach and Pogba changes his approach. So just to complete this narrative, he fires it in. Martial does a really good job, actually, with his yes. back to goal. It's kind of like an old-fashioned number nine striker, mm-hmm. right? He's earned that number nine shirt, um, holds off the defender, and he's able to just lay it off to Rashford at the far post. Rashford with a really nice... I guess near post finish, right? It's a left. No, it's far. It's far side netting, but it's with his left foot. That's what's confusing oh, there we go. about yes. it. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. And and it's and it is great work. It's it's great hold up play from Anthony Martial, and I think he also gets fouled uh, in that sequence. So so good work by him. But I think to your earlier point, it's the second goal from Manchester United that really shows what that sort of tactical adjustment did in terms of yes. opening up space for Paul Pogba. Because I think they're able to go wide. I'm not going to swear that it's one bissaka but I think they go wide to the right side. And then they go back into the middle where Pogba has... Um, he's actually been circulating around looking for a pocket of space. Mm-hmm. Finds it. Breaks Southampton's light midfield line where Bruno Fernandes has run beyond and found a little space between the midfield and the defence. Um, and then Man United are away, right? And this is what... I think he gives it to Martial who cuts inside uh, cuts inside and shoots. Yeah. So yeah, that's... It, that essentially is the tactical shift. And this is what only a couple of minutes after the equaliser. The tactical shift in full effect results in Manchester United going 2-1 up. I thought from here, United have figured Southampton out and we're away. And this is going to be another thing where you get that. We've had spells from Man United recently, mm-hmm. right? Where they'll just score a lot of goals in the space of 10, 15 minutes. And it's kind of game over at that point. Yeah. And it didn't think- happen. And they really could have even been further ahead because Anthony Martial has the sort of uh, in-on-goal 1v1 chance that it's a great save. Uh, they miss some chances later on and I think are a little, not quite wasteful, but not maybe as efficient as you would have expected. And I think, yeah, on another day, they do what they did to, to Bournemouth and it finishes 5-1 or 5-2. In this case, that's not how it goes. What, before we talk about that equalizer and why it doesn't go that way, the other thing I would like to, like to highlight for a moment is the other reason why Pogba has all of that space in the end when he then plays in the MLS assist for the goal uh, is that Mason Mason Greenwood has also dropped deeper a little bit and basically Southampton at that point have committed so many numbers into Manchester United's half I think they have seven players in Manchester United's half Man United have I think like five of themselves so it's like if they can play out of that which they do they have that space and a big reason why they can is because when Mason Greenwood drops in Southampton have another player to factor in and and all of them sort of adjust by two or three yards and move to make sure that he isn't an option but then Pogba checks away and that opens up all that space so again it's really good off the ball movement which is a thing that I think we've come to see from this Manchester United team to your point that we maybe then expected them to score more goals but I think a lot of it is that off the ball movement and the adjustments that Solskjaer has made allow them to get that advantage obviously they don't hold on to it for the entirety of the game so yeah why don't they score again why don't we see that Man United accelerate away and you know Greenwood with another couple goals Um, I think there's a couple things I think in the second half uh, I think Southampton did a good job of and I don't say this as a Manchester United fan I don't think I think they made it chippy to the extent they needed to that they they let Manchester United know that if you're going to dawdle on the ball we're going to try to take it off you and we might leave a stud in there as well they pick up some yellow cards and I think they make it a physical affair and if you can break up that rhythm if you can break up the sort of timing of those runs of how the players are shifting it makes it harder to get back into that full flow rhythm the other thing they do is uh, they go back to making sure that somebody is sitting on Paul Pogba when Manchester United regain the ball in their own half especially in their own sort of defensive third so that they cannot transition 
Hasenhutl or Southampton at least adjusted to Manchester yes. United's adjustment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And once okay, you're kind of sitting sense. on him, and I think to the extent that they would roll the dice and allow players further up to be wide open and essentially say, sure, go long, bypass that midfield, and then we will happily get into a sort of defensive physical battle there. We would much rather that than you all have Paul Pogba with 15 yards of space to stride into yes. and ping a ball forward. So they learn their lesson, yes. right? They learn their lesson from the first uh, 20 minutes or yes. so. Also, this um, is why you're right, a pro, Daryl, because I forgot that I had an explanation for why things went the way they did. <laughs> so thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk equalizer. So the equalizer comes from a corner in yep. the 95th, 96th minute. Um, I've got to admit, I missed this live because as we, I think, as we had the head injury when Carl Walker-Peters mm-hmm. and Brandon Williams collided, um, one, I, I just hate seeing that, and it kind yeah. of threw me a little bit to see it happen live on TV. Um, two, there was no, I, it wasn't clear to me when this game was going to recommence. And three, my dog was getting real, real antsy. Yep. So I kind of just thought, All right, I'm going to take a risk and assume that Man United see this out. I'm going to take my dog for a walk. So you're the I reason. I come, come back, and I looked at the score. I was going to just confirm and then basically not watch the last couple of minutes, what I assumed. Saw it was 2-2. Absolutely shocked. Rewatching, I obviously figured out what happened. It's that Man United played the last few minutes with only 10 men mm-hmm. and then failed to defend a corner, right? Yep. So my first question to you, is it, do you credit Southampton's goal in a large part to the fact that United had to play those few minutes down to 10 men because they couldn't make any more subs because they'd used all their substitution windows? And then Brandon Williams, who'd already come on for Luke Shaw, um, could not go on. So United had to play a man down for a few minutes. So I, I figured that was going to be the narrative and then like sort of rewatching it with that in mind, no, is my honest answer. You okay. do have Fred go wide, Manchester United go to that back three, so they're in a like a five three one, I think, because they're playing uh, a man down. Yeah. But it, it is basically just sort of Southampton working it from right to left, trying to find an opening, and it ends up being one of those sort of where Aaron Wan-Bissaka, to stop a cross from coming in and to stop the run from happening, just kind yeah. of pokes it out of bounds. So it's even on the opposite side of the field, and then Southampton just do a very good job, I think, of focusing in on a deficiency or a way Manchester United deal with corners. And I think yeah. that is, is right. the thing for me that is uh, we- fundamental. Before we dig into that, I yeah. just want to note that it was Nathan Redmond who mm-hmm. was going down that side who forces the corner from Wambasaka. And you didn't name him earlier, um, but it was Nathan Redmond who had the cross where mm-hmm. he chipped it to the far post for Armstrong to score the first goal. And about, what, five to ten minutes prior to this actual equaliser, it was Nathan Redmond who dribbled inside and forced that wonderful save mm-hmm. from David De Gea. Yep. So I just want to kind of make the point, in case people didn't see this game, that Nathan Redmond really was really dangerous throughout this entire game. I'm a big fan of Nathan Redmond and Ryan Bertrand, his uh, left-back partner. Redmond's like left, centre, mid, left wing for Southampton. I think they have a great thing going down that left wing with two Englishmen who will probably never be starters for England and will Mm -hmm. probably not even make the squad. But they're two players really worth celebrating because they're putting in great performances for Southampton. He was also the one who I saw. It's not to say that Southampton man-marked Pogba, but they just always made sure to get somebody on him quickly. And it seemed to be Nathan Redmond who was, generally speaking, the first one to make sure that he was covered and then would drop off of him once someone else was there. But he was alive to the ball defensively and on attack, yeah. Yeah, as well as being, uh, I'm basically paraphrasing what you're saying, but as well as being a real danger um, attacking wise, he's very alert and alive and very good at sort of quick pointing and organizing and making sure all the Southampton marking and pressing is happening. Really good all round both ways player, Nathan Redmond. But he doesn't score the equalizer, so not that good. (laughs) It's Michael Obafemi. It is. Scores the equalizer, essentially wins 
wins a kind of who wants the ball the most battle at the far post with Victor Lindelof, but it's flicked on by uh, Bednarek. I have a theory of what happens on this goal. I'm calling this Master Theory first. You're calling it Master Set Piece Theatre. Okay. That's what we say when Southampton have a really. like drawn up clever mm-hmm. plan. What's the yep. really drawn up clever plan that they have here that gets them on PBS? So you can see it. Uh, I mean, <laughs> it, it is it is sort of brute force master set pace theater, I guess. Uh, but you can see <laughs> that's it. As... One, that's one of the sub brands. Yes, exactly. It's on uh, PBS After Dark, I think. Uh, but they basically they sort of uh, you can see Bednarek waving everybody forward and calling everybody forward. And now you might think that that's like, oh yeah. Like, dying minutes, 96 minutes is when the goal happens. Uh, that, like, okay, they're just trying to commit numbers forward. But literally what he's doing is calling everyone into the six-yard box. And when this corner is taken, Southampton have, I think it is seven players in within eight yards of the goal. Manchester United have every single outfield player. And then, obviously, David De Gea within eight yards of the goal. So there are so many bodies in that box. If you watch it again, it's really, really clear because there are all those bodies and then a huge gap and then two Southampton players standing at the top of the 18, and that's it. And as the kick is delivered, almost all of those bodies go towards that near post, which is, I think, designed to be that flick on. And you can watch it. Obafemi very clearly drops off, and he is supposed to be at that back post. Uh, There's another player there. I'm not sure who it is. Let's just say it's Nathan Redmond, since I haven't given him credit for other stuff. Um, But basically, I think they send two runners, one a little bit further out, one really tight on that back post, to be there for the flick on. But all of those numbers create that chaos. And in that chaos, I think people lose track of their markers, and people panic a little bit, which is why Lindelof drops the way he he does if he doesn't do that then uh, Obafemi's offside that goal doesn't count but I think because of that sort of movement and the crowding in the box it creates that confusion that then creates that goal I uh, 100% bang my table I like which for emphasis right not yeah. not as an accident definitely for emphasis yeah definitely um, that <laughs> so I agree with everything you just said I also think that from a Manchester United perspective this goal is a failing of both zonal and man marking which is quite uh, a rarity the, in soccer yeah for both to fail. Actually, it failed in Arsenal's game as well. So there we go. It's a recurring trend now. <laughs> Hooray. Because what Man United are doing, they are man-marking, right? Mm-hmm. Certain players are man-marked. But then I went back and watched all the other Southampton corners. I was actually looking originally to see if they put if Man United put the left back inside the post and that's what was missing. It wasn't. But what Man United always do is they zonal mark the sort of front post edge of the six-yard box area and then they man-mark pretty much everywhere else. And I think part of what was really clever about what Southampton did is they crowded the zone that was that was being zonal marked yeah. so that no one was specifically picking up anybody, right? And in the end, Bednarek is, I think, between... I think he's, like, between Matic and Rashford. And then, like, one's jumping too early, Matic, and one's jumping too late in Rashford because Bednarek has, has found the spot in between the zones, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then there's a man-marking failure at the back post where Lindelof just essentially loses out to Obafemi in the end, right? So really clever stuff from Southampton. Yep. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that. I, I really enjoyed, uh, even though I was obviously not very happy when they equalized, uh, Hazen Hoodle's uh, semi-Mourinho celebration where he sprinted 10 yards and then realized he was about to run into Manchester United's box, like into the coach's box, and then stopped and kind of ran backwards and did the celebration in his own box. I, I appreciate <laughs> the restrained enthusiasm and, and understanding the moment. All right, we should move on because I know that we have time yeah. constraints and we have, I think, seven listener questions mm-hmm. to answer. I just want to close this up by, we, we have a final score in the Chelsea game, Taylor, that we'll talk about tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Chelsea have beaten Norwich 1-0 uh, with an assist by Christian Pulisic. Oh, it boy. just says Christian Pulisic assist. It doesn't even say who scored. 
Um, I'm, I'm kidding. It was Giroud. Um, so it's a 1-0 win for Chelsea. That means Chelsea are in third with 63 points. Leicester City are in fourth, which is the final Champions League spot now, with 59 points. Manchester United in fifth, also with 59 points. Yep. So it's all about the goal difference. United have uh, plus 26. Leicester have plus 29. So we have a battle emerging here for fourth place. And it's, it's the sort of plummeting Leicester versus the rising Manchester United with uh, three games to go in mm-hmm. the Premier League table. And I believe that last game of the season is Leicester City playing Manchester United. Oh, magnificent. Mm-hmm. Please, yes. Please be that. Please yep. be that. But let's hope it's not on Peacock. It won't be. It'll be <laughs> It'll be on NBC Sports, hopefully. It will. Um, before we move on to listening questions, today's mm-hmm. show is sponsored by Artifact. So you heard all about Artifact last week. Artifact is personal podcasts with the people in your life. Mm-hmm. So you can employ Artifact to essentially get them to create a podcast or, you know, an audio artifact, an audio artifact of something that's really important to you or really important to people you know. Um, we, we know that we obviously know George Koreshi is one of the co-founders. Another co-founder, Ross, I believe is a Total Soccer Show listener. Based on our email exchanges with him, he seems to have a lot of knowledge about TSS, which suggests he listens to the show. Um, so it was a perfect little combo when we, we asked George and Ross to help us create an artifact about the origins of the Total Soccer Show. That is right, because we've done the uh, Ask Us Anything on Reddit, but we get lots of questions still about how did it come to be, how did you all first start, how did you meet, all those things, and I think George sort of uh, uh, succinctly got it together to ask us those questions to keep it kind of tight, and so it's not a meandering thing that it would be otherwise. If we didn't have George's supervision, I think that show would be like seven hours long. That's true, that's true. George also edited it down. Right. There's um, also that. Yeah. Yeah. Because like he asked us a lot of questions. There are also some questions that didn't really go anywhere. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm assuming those questions were just then removed to create a really smooth product that in the end sounds like a kind of nice public radio podcast. It yeah. was is it was as if um, what's her name on NPR? I've forgotten her name. Um, uh, oh, uh, oh, no. Uh, Terry Gross. Terry Gross. Yes. Yeah. It was as if Terry Gross interviewed us, except it was George. And then it was edited down. <laughs> Which I'm I sure thought, the Terry Gross interviews are as well. I thought you were going to go Ira Glass, and I had that in my head, and it took me a moment to uh, to realize what you were doing. I also have to say, uh, frantic Ira Glass on the Too Much Tuna podcast, or the Oh Hello podcast, might be one of my favorite moments uh, I've heard <laughs> in audio format. Uh, the Artifact episode that we did uh, being my second. Absolutely. Yeah, so two, two listening recommendations yeah. from Taylor are to listen to the Oh Hello podcast, mm-hmm. the Ira Glass episode. But also, you can listen to that entire <laughs> artifact where George oh, asks Taylor and I, Taylor and me, yeah, asks mm-hmm. Taylor and me um, about the origins of the Total Soccer Show um, and then edits it together beautifully. You can hear that at heyartifact.com slash TSS. Heyartifact.com slash TSS. I'll put the link in the show notes so you can listen to it. So you can listen to that one, and then when you're ready to make an artifact of your own, you can use code TSS to get $40 off your first artifact order. I, I don't know if you're ordering the artifact, but your first artifact production, maybe, is the better way to put it. Commission. You're commissioning yeah. an artifact to be made. And like our origin story for our business um, is maybe the type of thing that you would like to use artifact for, right? Like mm-hmm. if you have a business that you're proud of, or if your you know relative has a business or friend has a business that they're proud of, you can commission an artifact to sort of get that... Um, get that artifact made so that you have a record of how it happened. Mm-hmm. That's heyartifact.com slash TSS to hear as heyartifact.com and use code TSS for $40 off your first artifact. There we are. Thank you very much to Artifact, as always, for sponsoring today's episode. Thank you to everyone who sent us listener questions. We've got, uh, I believe you said seven. Uh, that, that confirms my count. So let's yep. get to them, shall we? 
We have seven and we have 45 minutes, so let's get to it. First Boy. question comes from Thomas Bakia. Thomas mm. Bakia says, with US youth national teamer Evan Rotundo signing with Schalke, so that's happened, and Brian Keo and Kobe Hernandez-Foster signing with Wolfsburg this week. So tell you, we have a new generation of young mm. Americans mm. with German teams. Why is the Bundesliga the biggest league willing to sign and develop young Americans? That's Thomas's question. Why does the Bundesliga see the potential in young Americans, whereas other big leagues don't, besides maybe the Dutch Eredivisie I have many answers to this mm-hmm. each as valid as the next but I, <laughs> I wanted to uh, get your take first Taylor I'll start with the cynical answer uh, which is that they can get them easily <laughs> and Americans can get there easily is, is the gist of it for me uh, because it's worth remembering that with the Bundesliga no work permit required for players over the age of 16 you basically need to be 16 years old uh, earn a living wage, be confirmed as a competent athlete, which mo- Americans can pull off, and then you're able to sign, whereas other teams, like you already mentioned, Spain has the three-foreigner match day rule. Uh, the Eredivisie has pretty strict rules on like youngsters that you can bring in. So, in, And so Germany, basically, with the number of clubs there, uh, and then at the same time, you have a number of clubs who are maybe trying to find ways to be competitive in a very difficult market where you don't have a lot of money to spend. The American market, number one, is an untapped resource in a lot of ways, but number two, you don't have to play for pay for that acquisition because uh, until things fundamentally change, you don't have uh, like the compensation or you haven't in the past that you would have if, say, you were signing a young Brazilian or Mexican player. Yeah, I thought last point is really, really important, right? You don't right now. You don't have to pay uh, training compensation or solidarity payments. Okay, I want to I want to clean up a couple of things that you said though. Mm-hmm. Um, you mentioned foreigners. The important thing is that a lot of leagues have non EU player limits, right? Yep. So, for example, La Liga, you can only have a maximum of five non European Union players in your uh, entire squad. You can only have a maximum of three non European Union players in your match day squad. So that's the reason why, unless you have an, unless you have an also an EU passport. A lot of Americans will find the path to first-team football blocked in Spain. And also, Spanish clubs would not be that interested in going after young Americans because then it's just—it's basically an, it's a clerical problem when you're trying to get them in the squad, right? right? The Bundesliga does not have those restrictions, so it really opens it up to non-EU players um, like Americans. Yeah. One thing I want to quibble with you on, Taylor, is you said at 16 you can sign. I thought you had to be 18 to sign for a Bundesliga team, sort of like uh, uh, Brian Keo and Kobe Hernandez-Foster. You're correct. But unless you have an have EU passport, passport That's the one. like Christian Pulisic did, right? Like he's got that Croatian passport that he could use, I believe. Um, or Gio Reyna had the Portuguese passport that he could use. I'm pretty confident. Um, okay, so we've cleaned that part up. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some other reasons, though. Um, there is a strong history of Americans in the German league. Like uh, even guys like Greg Berhalter, Frankie Hayduck, Josh Wolf, Claudio Reyna, guys that you wouldn't normally think of. Steve Trindolo, how dare you? Well, Steve Trindolo is the major example. I'm going with the more minor examples. But okay, let's go with uh, Steve Trindolo as an example of someone who is really well respected in the Bundesliga and has set a precedent for the Bundesliga trusting Americans in a way that other leagues don't just because he went there and succeeded, right? Right. And I think one of the things Steve Trindolo told us, I think in that sort of town hall Q&A type thing we did um, hosted by the Bundesliga last October was essentially Americans have a reputation in Germany and it's a reputation of being sort of really hard trainers, really hard workers, being really coachable and therefore, you know, fitting in really well with the the uh, ethos of the Bundesliga. Yeah, that, I think that's why, that's why they 
Bundesliga teams are willing to take a gamble on Americans because they have that reputation. I would agree with that. And I would add that there's also, generally speaking, for, uh, from what we've heard and what he said, like an awareness that they're American, which is to say there's an aware that, awareness that there is a stigma about American players. And are like, are you guys actually good? Do you even care? Why do you call it soccer? And I think there, there's that. It's not quite a chip on the shoulder, but there's that also desire to prove that not only can I play, but I can play better than you thought I could. And so if you have hard work, determination, and basically sort of a lack of ego because you're so driven to prove that you belong there, that you'll, yeah, sure, I'll go play right back. I don't care. Sure, I'll play (laughs) left back, whatever. Like, I think there's more of a willingness there that I think that allows clubs to continue to look for American players, or maybe that's a reason why they continue to look for them. And speaking of right now, right, if we're thinking, why have Schalke signed Rotundo? Why have Wolfsburg signed Brian Keo and uh, Kobe Hernandez-Foster? Names worth knowing, by the way. And they're sure. all in the scouting network. I hope we get reports on them. Um, it's because there's been a recent big success of Americans in the Bundesliga, right? Like uh, Dortmund got Pulisic for free and sold him for something like 70 million euros, right? Yeah, that's, not bad. that's a big, big success. Schalke got Weston McKinney for free. He is now one of their best players. Tyler Adams was got very, very cheap because of the Red Bull system. I think they paid four million for him he is now sort of well respected in the Bundesliga so there's just there's a good little recent history and a long-term history of Americans doing well in the Bundesliga then add to that the big fact that the Bundesliga in general is just willing to take a gamble on young players more than other leagues are right so it's more of a general thing than an American thing but it's also an American thing as well yeah, I mean, I mean, like going back to the conversation we had about like how Werder Bremen have found themselves in the position they're in, like their their huge massive expenditures were like they signed uh, I think David Clausen for fifteen million, like wow, like that that and that that is a massive expenditure. Don't get me wrong, but more often than not, the players they're looking for are in the two to four million range, if that. And yeah. so, yeah, when you look at it from that perspective, being able to bring in these young players who could be starting in MLS, probably should be starting in MLS, but instead have pursued other options and are now maybe coming in there with that willingness to work it makes a lot of sense that you can get them for cheap and then they can if not immediately uh like function and play well then ideally within a year or two they're up to speed where they should be able to and then here's the final thing it's like a bigger picture thing i would say more than any other european nation including england where we have the somewhat common language Hmm. um there are really strong cultural ties between the u.s and germany yeah. Right. A lot of it because of like Iron Curtain and uh, U.S. troops being stationed in what was, you know, West Germany, Federal Republic of Germany. There are just strong cultural ties between the U.S. and Germany that are part of I think Germans just being more familiar with Americans than other European nations are. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I think it's also, uh, as with a lot of like European countries, but Germany especially, you have a lot of English as a second language and people who've been speaking English since they were in elementary school. Where, Of course, that's where it was taught. Uh, I was not taught a, for a second language when I was in elementary school. But So I think there's also, yeah, you, you don't have as much of a language barrier as you might expect. And then I think it's also probably helped that you have so many other Americans there that uh, Christian Pulisic and Weston McKinney can hang out since they live uh, pretty close to each other. Well, not since Christian Pulisic moved to London, but I guess I get yeah, what you're you know talking what I mean. about. Uh, Gio Reyna then. Gio Reyna moved in and took his place. How about that? <laughs> Are you ready for the next question? Yeah. Mike Zizou asks, would the big football leagues in Europe be better with a salary cap and revenue sharing system? Mm-hmm. This is a big question and I it like is. it. 
Uh, I like it as well. I will own up, up front that I really struggle to answer it because my brain is sort of – it is grounded in that reality of like, yeah, it's not going to happen. Uh, and so I had to really shake that as much as I could because there are so many major reasons why this wouldn't be a possibility or why it won't end up happening that I had a, a hard time getting around this. Right. But, I did, but I did try. Okay. And I think it would be – it would certainly be more interesting because I think <laughs> the result would be uh, you have like like – like less giant spending on contracts, I think that probably means you end up having more youth development and local youth development at that and probably more money for younger players coming into the team. Uh, as strange as that might sound, with like resources being limited, you would expect there to be less money for those players coming in. But I think if you're not going to spend 300000 a week on a player, then it ends up getting redistributed because you have to look at how you're functioning and what your model is actually going to be. So if there's a salary cap, mm-hmm. this means that Manchester City could not spend more on wages than Bournemouth, right? And if there's right. a revenue share, this means Bournemouth has equal access to the money that Manchester City has, like in terms of TV mm-hmm. money and all that sort of stuff, right? So does this mean that there's going to be just parity or more parity, if that's a way you can have mm-hmm. parity? <laughs> Will yeah. things be more more even, more equally, uh, more competitive, essentially, in a league like the Premier League. Is that what we're looking at here? Theoretically, yes. In practice, probably not. Uh, because uh, if you did do this, you could have the luxury tax, which is what baseball does, which is how the Yankees are All able right, but to imagine, imagine imagine you don't. Imagine right. you don't. Imagine it's a hard salary cap and hard revenue share. Then I would point to the NBA, <laughs> which also has a salary cap, and yet you still have teams that have the best players because they all want to play together because they want to win a bunch and they don't yes. really like the parity. So I think you would still get people migrating towards those bigger clubs, those historically bigger clubs, regardless of whether or not there's a salary cap. And if anything, I think you're going to get players willing to take less money to be able to be part yeah. of that team the way you do have in the NBA. All right, let's tease this out. Would, sure. you, would you like that setup where, you know, like financially everything's even, but there's still, you're still more likely to get the bigger players will just naturally drift towards the bigger more famous clubs would that preserve enough of the sort of the the glamour and the grandeur of the big teams like you know like Manchester United we talk about becoming appointment television again since they signed Bruno Fernandes um would enough of that still remain or would we have like a grey communist everybody's the same situation it's sort of weird right that like the United States has a fairly socialist system when it comes to sports and then and then the rest of the world has a very free market capitalism approach to sports I mean another way of looking at it is that the big bosses are keeping the workers down and making sure they keep profits for themselves right correct yeah yes that is is the interesting difference the interesting difference right now is as I understand it and I texted you about this earlier to try and double check this right but mostly the reason for the salary cap and revenue sharing in something like the NFL, mm-hmm. it's not really for parity, right? Isn't no. it just to guarantee that the team owners can pocket a lot of the profits that come from owning a National Football League team, right? Whereas in the Premier League, I, I would as interject an example, there to, to, to just also add so that they then don't have to spend more money is the other yeah. thing. Because if one team is the New York Yankees and is spending twice what you are, but then they're willing to take the, uh, the luxury tax hit, that it does sort of then have eyes on you as to why you're not doing that. If you make it a hard salary cap limit, then your hands are tied. That's all I can spend. Sorry. Yeah. And the, the deal in the NFL is something like the maximum salary cap is X percentage of the TV contract, right? So it sort of guarantees that there's money left over for owners to take home at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. What, what I'm arguing is, in the say the I keep thinking of the Premier League as an example. 
that doesn't happen right now, right? If anything, most teams are spending more than they've got mm-hmm. and like living on the edge. And that's why teams were suddenly in a lot of trouble when the TV money wasn't being paid, when games stopped because of coronavirus, right? The mm-hmm. same in the Bundesliga, where there was a thing of teams could be going out of business if we don't get this thing back on television um, and get the money. So I think what I'm arguing is right now, without a salary cap, teams are overspending. Whereas with a salary cap in the NFL, teams are teams are underspending the amount of money they have versus how much te- all the teams are spending on players. Is there like a happy medium we could reach where we still make sure that teams invest heavily in players in soccer, but we stop teams from running themselves into the ground, essentially? I mean, I think you're describing what financial fair play was supposed to be. <laughs> I think yep. that's the other thing is that like... I think if you had asked me this last week, I would probably be like, no, nah, I don't think this is a very good idea. Like, it just is what it is. Like, there's a reason why I like Manchester United and why I have a friend who likes Chelsea and I have a friend who likes Liverpool. Like, it, it, those are the teams that have the like largest global standing. So those are the teams that I think are going to appeal. So I think for people around the world, like, it, it kind of doesn't matter. For people living in England, they probably care a lot more. But really, after that ruling and the way it went down, there's a, I do have that feeling of like, yeah, maybe this isn't the way it's supposed to be. Maybe it isn't supposed to be that the teams that like don't have debt, quote unquote, are the ones that are funded by a, a, an oil rich nation. And I, I, I want to be totally honest here. I don't know if it's a good idea or not. So I'm kind of enjoying just teasing out the pros mm-hmm. and cons with you. I don't even expect that I'll come down on a final decision. I just kind of like the thought experiment. Because <laughs> here's yeah. another really important part of the thought experiment as compared to, say, the NFL or the NBA, right? You can basically make no effort as an NFL owner. I'm sure there are examples out there. And you just, you know, you spend whatever the salary cap is, you take home the rest of the money. And if your team is terrible the entire season, you just take the money and you start again next year, right? And you get the top draft pick. And you, and you get the top draft pick. Oh, mm-hmm. man. Yep. In the Premier League or the Bundesliga or anywhere else, if you did that, you get relegated, yep. right? You get kicked out. You get you go down to the next tier where there is less money available. And it's a bad thing, right? So at least even with the salary cap in big European football leagues, there would still be pressure to make sure you're spending that money and spending it wisely and do your job well. Because if you don't, you get kicked out of the club. So Mm -hmm. that, that makes it appealing to me is that it wouldn't mean, uh, it wouldn't mean you would get essentially, um, I don't know what you call them, like lazy owners, that wouldn't happen because they wouldn't be around for long. They'd be playing in the Champions League, mm-hmm. <laughs> Championship or the yeah. Second Bundesliga. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I, and I think the the issue, though, remains that if you are an NFL owner, to your point, like even if you are like a, an actively bad owner, you're still going to be around. It's still going to be – you're going to bring in some money. And it's also going to be the case that no matter what, there are only 32 football teams, like professional top-level football teams. Yes, I know there are other iterations, but when we talk about the teams that are having the money to pay those salaries, you've got 32 or however many it is now. It's been a while since I counted the NFL teams. But uh, like that's kind of it. So it stands to reason you're going to be able to find a decent quarterback who will – play for you no matter what, and a decent running back. Uh, I I guess there are often teams who do not have a good quarterback, but what I mean to say is that you're not going to have 40 other leagues that are waiting to take those players, and that is the the major drawback, is you'd have to have every league sort of on on, in in step with this one. Otherwise, you could just have one that outspends everybody else. So here's what I would... I want to think about this in a wider context like you just did, right? So in Mike's original question, would the big football leagues in Europe be better with a salary cap, right? I can imagine that if, let's say, England, Germany, France, Spain, Italy all instituted a salary cap, 
you could still earn way more money in those leagues than you could in any other European leagues, right? Even with even with a salary cap, there's still more money on offer, right? Um, in that case, I think what you would need to do then, those five leagues, let's say, would have to coordinate their salary caps to be really, really similar. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, when they meet in the Champions League and the Europa League, like France might be at a disadvantage against Germany if the Germany salary cap is higher than the French salary cap, right? So you'd almost need those five leagues to form a five-league cartel where they all right. agree the same salary cap. Which might but, be illegal. Like that might be like, like if you're negotiating across international lines about what you're willing to pay to pay workers yeah. like, and fixing it at such Maybe. that they can only make a certain amount, there might be international labor rules being violated there. Could be wrong, and but it's a possibility. To- to that point, there might even be um, some European employment laws that yeah. prevent this happening, right? Yeah. For, it doesn't even matter if it's across international wars. If any country within the EU um, tries to do this, they may be breaking some EU laws. I'm not saying that for sure because I don't know, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if putting a salary cap on soccer players, uh, you, you would get some sort of lawsuit from players uh, th- through European law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you've got that issue Certainly. Uh, It also means that you are going to then have to kind of teams that have based their entire existence or current existence off of the system as it is would be pretty uh, hard done pretty quickly. Because if you are a team that has made a a business of finding like players, developing them and selling them on for four or five times what they're worth. If teams suddenly don't have that, like, yeah, we're the team that can afford that. We're the team that can afford to pay them any more than anybody else. So, of course, they're going to come here now as if it's all sort of level. Those selling clubs are actually pretty hard hit, in my opinion, as well, because they don't have those giant markets and you don't get those bidding wars because people can only pay a certain amount and a set amount. It really just comes down to where the player wants to go, and it takes a lot of the, uh, the market out of your hands. I feel like there's a lot more to talk about with this. Like sure. We could do a whole hour on this, but mm-hmm. I'm also aware of our time constraints. So maybe, just... we'll, maybe we'll come back to this after the inevitable emails and tweets that come to us um, on this, on this uh, proposition. And not just the tweets that say no after they see the episode yeah. title. Uh, maybe we'll revisit this in the future. How about that, Taylor? I would like that. I would. My final thing I wanted to note is because I'm sure there are some people who are pointing out that like the oh, Premier League you, does. You, you have, missed the part where I was trying to move on, right? I know, but I wanted to note that there are definitely people who are pointing out like the Premier League does have revenue sharing. That there's a more equitable split of the TV rights compared to say La Liga, where it's Barcelona and Real Madrid are the two dominant ones. That is true. The sad reality though is that that has changed even in the last year. So now the I think top six teams get a larger percentage of that revenue. So if anything, we're moving further away from this model. Uh, but yes, with that said. I think uh, I am good to talk more about it at a later date. All right. So we look forward to your emails. In Mm -hmm. the meantime, let's talk about today's sponsor. Today's show is sponsored by Hawthorne. Mm -hmm. Hello, Hawthorne. Hawthorne's back. Daryl, I can smell you through the recording (laughs) and it smells good. That's just because my microphone is very, very good. (laughs) In smell-o-vision? Yeah, I I, I forgot we were recording that. I'm using an XLR. That smells good. Okay. <laughs> oh, wow. Wow. Um, uh, well, did you use Hawthorne to find a good smelling microphone? Um, I sure did. Um, if I, I actually didn't because Hawthorne don't sell microphones. Yeah. I was going to say, we're well, taking this to an absurd level. Yeah, taking this too far, right? But yeah. <laughs> Hawthorne does sell uh, shampoo mm-hmm. and face wash and deodorant and cologne, uh, basically all things that smell good. Um, and you can tailor your Hawthorne products to your particular body, which is the one that you have. If you go to Hawthorne, 
hawthorn.co you can take a quiz and the quiz will ask you all kinds of questions about basically what sort of smells you like mm-hmm. um, chocolate beer what have you um, that's not one thing chocolate or beer um, it will also it ask you what be, type though. of what type of skin type you have what type of hair type you have and at the end it will recommend products that you can buy on an individual basis or on a recurring basis so you take the two minute quiz Hawthorne recommends the products to you and then if you want you can buy them and it's totally risk free with free shipping and free returns there are lots of chocolate stouts. I'm just going to throw that out there. <laughs> I'm also going to throw out that, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll continue with that one for a moment. There's also lots and lots of different beer flavors, so much so that it can be totally overwhelming. And that is a, an issue that I do sort of face. If I go in to get, uh, like, I use beard oil, for example, or like skin cream if you've got a sensitive skin. It can be difficult to know which product you want, and they all say sensitive skin, but then which has this and which has that. And I appreciate that Hawthorne sort of helps you narrow it down by asking you those questions, because it is preference, but it is also sort of, do you have oily skin or dry skin? Do you have like a flaky scalp or normal scalp or like they ask you those questions to then be able to fine-tune to give you exactly what you need that will help you the most and if you want to get involved you go to hawthorne at hawthorne.co that's hawthorne with an e and Mm -hmm. .co dot co not dot com hawthorne.co and i'll put the link in the show notes so you can see it and then you use the promo code tss and you'll get 10 percent off your first purchase that's hawthorne.co use the promo code tss to get 10 percent off your first purchase one more time taylor what is that url I so want to mess it up deliberately, but I won't. Hawthorne.co. Uh, thank you very much to Hawthorne for sponsoring this episode. Thank you to Andrew Johnson for our next question. Yes. How many orphan kittens does Giassi's artist have to save from a burning building before people ca- stop calling him trash? I think the literal answer, if we take this question very literally, mm-hmm. is one. If, <laughs> if there was a story about Jesse Zardes saving an orphan kitten from a burning building, people would really, really love him, right? Except, except I think you would probably get, you'd get the hot takes of, like, he could have done that more efficiently, though. <laughs> he didn't have to go scale the building and go through the window. He could have just used the stairs. They weren't on fire yet. That could have been done a lot better. So a better, a better kitten saver would have done that faster. So you are referring to the idea that Jesse Zardes actually does score a bunch of goals, but people mm-hmm. still criticize him anyway. That is pretty true. Because yes. mm-hmm. I think that is the case with Giassi Zardes. Yeah. And worth noting, this question from Andrew Johnson, I'm guessing not by coincidence, came in not long after Giassi Zardes scored two goals in Columbus Crew's 4-0 win over Cincinnati in the MLS's back tournament. Yes. Yes, he did. Um, and I think those two goals were like... Strange, like very good representations of, I think, the frustrations people have with Jassy Zardes, even yep. when he does things well. Is that Absolutely. fair to say? Absolutely. Yeah, let's, let's talk through those two goals then, right? And I will say, if you want to hear detail about the MLS's back tournament, you will get occasional snippets from us. Mm-hmm. You will get a breakdown of every game and every goal, and you will know all about the tactics of every Major League Soccer team if you listen to Joe and Jordan with MLS Assist, which is up and running with a show every day during the MLS's back tournament. They are doing an amazing job. We're going to do our best with these two goals. I would say, like, my anxiety level is so much lower because MLS Assist and Allocation Disorder both exist. Because I always felt that pressure to, like, oh, we haven't done enough time with MLS. We haven't, like, given enough time to them on the weekend review. We only talked about one or two games, and there are so many games that happened. And I do really enjoy that we have MLS Assist and Allocation Disorder to sort of check those boxes, and then we can cover it uh, when we get questions about it or when there are games that we really, really want to watch and feel like we can bring something to. But it's not out of a sense of obligation. So thank you to both of them for that, if nothing else. Yeah, so please go listen to MLS Assist. Lots of people have. If you're not, you're missing out.
Um, that is correct. Back to these two Jashes ID goals. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, I had to, um, I had to uh, make sure to plug MLS assist, Taylor. Um, you were saying that these two goals are good yeah. examples, even though he scored, of why people still criticize Jashes ideas. Yeah, because his opener uh, is him sort of uh, like finding the pocket of space, but making sure he stays onside and is in the exact right position when he receives the ball to then calmly finish. And that's really well done to kind of find the space, to occupy the space, to not overrun the ball and then go into an offside position and to finish, but then also when that ball is played in, Stu Holden, the broadcast, praised his first touch. His first touch is bad. It pops up and he has to take a second touch to settle it. He is just so wide open that he's not punished for it. Later on in the game, he has a kind of similar sequence where, again, he kind of cuts inside and there are more defenders closer to him and he's not able to get that shot off because the touch is, uh, in that case, I think a little, it's not heavy, but it just kind of kills the ball and stops that move. Here, the first touch pops up a little bit. He's able to get under, under control with the second and then calmly finishes with the third and it's that sort of moment that like he does everything right but there's just that one little moment i think that has people thinking like he could have done that better he could have finished that better and in a more high pressure environment when it's not cincinnati when it's uh the usa playing england in the world cup you sort of don't have that level of flexibility well here's here's my thing with jesse zardes this is where i come down on jesse zardes Mm -hmm. he is a hard-working player Yep. He's a great teammate. Yep. He's a smart player. He is constantly yep. making the right runs. He's a very coachable player. He is constantly doing what coaches ask. And under someone like Berhalter for the national team, making the right runs is one of the things Berhalter asks, right? So that's why there's a really good match there. And on top of it, he does get the job done, right? He scored two goals in this 4-0 win. He was the US men's national team's top scorer in 2019 with six goals in 14 appearances, mm-hmm. right? It's just that quite often it's really, really awkward looking. But the end result is usually that he's getting it done. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. this, this first goal against Cincinnati is a really good example. The second goal against Cincinnati is a really, really good example as well, right? Because mm-hmm. it starts with, I can't remember who plays it into. I want to say it's Harrison Affle. And he try, Zardes tries to lay it off to Zellerayen, the number 10. And it's kind of a heavy layoff, right? And Zellerayen has to go and chase it and, and recover the ball, essentially, from a loose layoff. But then Zardes finds a space, finds space between the centre-backs and is there for Zellerayen to bend in a beautiful cross, which Zardes meets with a sort of weird volley where he falls over backwards and catches it with his left foot, but puts yep. it in the bottom right corner. And it looks really awkward looking, but it goes in the far corner and it's two, it's two goals for G.S. Zardes in that game. Yep. And I think this is the core of it. He's a hard worker, gets things done, actually does produce end product and score a bunch of goals but just looks really awkward doing it. And I think people like their strikers to be smooth and aesthetically pleasing. And Jesse Zardes is never going to be smooth and aesthetically pleasing. No. And I think like, like the hold-up play for that one leaves a little bit to be desired as well. It I does, The right? finish is excellent. Uh, still don't know if he was offside or not. <laughs> it was really tough to see from well, the actually, angles they had. Both of these goals, part of the thing Zardes yep. does really well is mm-hmm. to just inch along the edge of the offside line yep. in an almost Luis Suarez fashion. Mm-hmm. But I think... Uh, to, to go back to like the question as it is, I think you are correct in everything kittens. you said. Uh, <laughs> yes, kittens. Uh, no, m- more about like like why there is this sort of sentiment towards him. And I think a big part of it is that if you're a, a U.S. fan who does not like or does not really enjoy Major League Soccer, and there are many, many, many of those – 
you're never going to be convinced by Giassi Zardes because he's an MLS player. We would require you. Some of that is Euro snobbery. Some of it is just is what it is. But I think only if he like went to Germany and scored 10 goals in his first season would people then be like, okay, okay, so he can do it. And I think that is part of it, that yeah. you have those voices very loudly being frustrated when Giassi Zardes is the starting striker for the U.S. national team. And why isn't it Josh Sargent or Andrea Novakovic or somebody like that? Like I think it always is, well, if he were in Europe, and that is a part of the consideration for me, not for me, but I think for why he has that negative uh, negativity attached to him. I don't disagree with your premise. Mm-hmm. I just disagree that that that's the way that things should be. Yeah, if that absolutely. Makes sense, right? Yeah, and, and it, I think. Oh, sorry. And then I failed to. Sorry. I just wanted to add though that like I think it's also <clears throat> that because of that, when he's utilized for Greg Berhalter, so much of what he does is his movement and finding space or, or vacating space someone else, someone else can occupy it. But it's nuanced, right? It's kind of difficult to see, and especially when, even if he is the top scorer, like I remember him missing two sitters, and then it like hits off of him and goes in, and it yeah. was like the sentiment then was like, of course, that's how Giassi Zardes scores, which I think is unfair. But also, if you're sort of unconvinced by him, and it requires nerds like us being like, but here are the things you're not seeing, that's yeah. not really going to go over, and I think, know with what? a lot of people. You know, I think no one wants to hear it. No one wants to celebrate a sort of scrappy, hardworking, right. team-oriented player, because here's my guess is what U.S. men's national team fans want, or at least a lot of fans, and especially fans on Twitter. They want the U.S. to be so good that our central striker is someone like of supreme quality who you can sort of ooh and ah as they like, take the ball down out of the yeah. air seamlessly. You know what I'm saying? You want it to be like peak Ronaldo or something, yeah. something up there, and you're not willing to accept that it's this scrappy, hardworking player. What I would say is maybe that peak player is coming in this next, this next wave of US national team talent. Like maybe it's Jesus Ferreira, maybe it's Ricardo Pepe. But right now, I would love to just, this is my new attitude, I think, my new approach to GSC Zardes. Just enjoy the scrappy, hardworking nature of it. Think of him as like a Frankie Hayduke who plays centre forward. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that that's probably the way to approach it because I think also if you see him as a sort of understudy deputy until Josie Azador is fit or until we have that other striker who you feel like should be there, but we don't. Yeah. We don't have many like top-tier strikers right now. And so he is, if Josie Azador is injured, he's the starting striker for the national team. And I believe so. I am okay with that. I, I still am like, I wish we did have somebody who was banging in goals in a top-tier league, and I would feel a little bit better. But it, it is the reality. But and I think for a lot of people, if your introduction to him was like an understudy who was like close with Bruce Arena, and maybe that plays a part here, like then suddenly it sort of immediately diminishes your enthusiasm for him. And people will be screaming, Josh Sargent, Josh Sargent. But it's worth remembering that Josh Sargent is still mm-hmm. a work in progress. Josh Sargent started in the game against Canada over Zardes where we lost. Zardes started in the other game against Canada where we won 4-1 and Zardes scored two of the goals, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. maybe just enjoy Zardes for the scrappy striker that he is. And, you know, just celebrate the moments where he, where he makes things happen for us and have faith that in the future there, there will be someone who comes along who is better than Josh Zardes in the future. But just appreciate it for what he is right now how about yes. that i like that Darryl. don't make like him go this. in a burn, burning building and save a kitten i uh, no, i don't want i don't want that to happen uh i do want to answer our next question if that's good with you this yeah, one i good. think we, we could probably do somewhat uh succinctly danny yeah. w asks why is the stoppage time at the end of the game almost always longer than at halftime i'm pretty confident it's because there are more subs made in the second half yep especially more subs in the last 10 minutes or so and those, some of those subs in the last 10 minutes are time-wasting, which yep. is also a thing that happens in all kinds of uh, fashions um, towards the end of a game. So essentially, more time is 
wasted or the game is delayed a lot more in the second half, and that's why there's more stoppage time. Yeah, unless we're talking CONCACAF World Cup qualifying, uh, the, the wasting of time doesn't usually start until the second half. So okay. most of the time, teams are content to, like, you'll have a minute for maybe the ball went out of play or you had an injury or something like that, or maybe there was a goal and so you add on 30 seconds for the celebrations and play resuming. But, yeah, you're only going to get, like, a minute or two at halftime, whereas, yeah, by right. the end of the game, you have people subbing and kicking the ball out of bounds and deliberately wasting, and then you, it almost gets punitive sometimes of, you guys wasted so much time, we're going to add that on for sure. Next question comes from Kenneth Seiden. Kenneth mm-hmm. Seiden says, how do, or asks, how do you anticipate UEFA handling financial fair play rules with many clubs most likely unable to stem losses due to this loss of revenue, in particular if full stadiums are not permitted next season? So essentially, because of the coronavirus crisis, how do we see UEFA handling the financial fair play rules where you're essentially asking teams to not, not spend more than they make? Mm-hmm. Um, there's a scene in The Wire in which they list Omar's rap sheet, and one of the things that he was charged with was assault by pointing. Uh, can I say? Can I make that my answer? They're going to uh, assault the teams by pointing at them. That's about how like punitive I would expect UEFA to be. But that's the the non-serious answer. The serious answer is we kind of know what they're going to do, yeah. which is that they're basically going to relax financial fair play for at least the next year to two years. Yep. So we found out in June, right? The story came out in June 2020 uh, that UEFA are essentially going to loosen the rules and they are going to allow the assessment of financial year 2020 to be assessed together with financial year 2021. So they normally do it in sort of three-year blocks, right? You have to balance your books in blocks of three years. They're going to give you essentially a year extension, sort of how we got an extension on our taxes, right? They're going to give you a year extension from 2020 uh, to 2021. So it's okay, everything that hopefully teams will have time to sort things out by the end of the next financial year and that's how they will handle it but in the end they can't enforce financial fair play anyway yeah. because i was reminded that the man city gonna say, just hire a lawyer you're good to go right yeah the man city ban being overturned it's like the psg one was also overturned mm-hmm. and i think judgments uh, against galatasaray and milan were also overturned in the last year or so so financial fair play's teeth are falling out basically i think the tooth fairy is making a lot of visits to uefa <laughs> and maybe that's yeah. how they plan to make money you ready for the next question <laughs> Yeah, I think so. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a little bummed out, but yes, I think so. I would add, uh, the only other thing I wanted to note with UEFA would be that they have uh, also announced in that same report that they're going to harmonize the European transfer window. So we know it will all be happening uh, by October 5th. That's my, that's my UEFA actually doing something because financial fair play certainly is not. <laughs> um, actually, before the final two questions, yes, sir. let's get to another of today's wonderful, wonderful mm-hmm. sponsors. Today's show is sponsored by Away. Yes. Away uh, create uh, luggage that we know is quite wonderful. Daryl has it. We used it when we went to Germany. It made his life very easy. I'm going to assume that the last few months have not been very easy for the people at Away. I, I assume that's true because there's not much travel going on. Mm-hmm. I have been traveling once a month to Boston for my, uh, for my immunotherapy. Mm-hmm. I always pack my Away suitcase. Obviously, I don't fly, right? Not many people are flying right now. I don't feel safe flying right now. But I do use my luggage to to pack uh, my stuff into the car. Um, quite often, our little Zoom recorder goes in there so I, can, mm-hmm. so I can take it with me and possibly record shows from Boston. I still love my away suitcase. I love the 360 spinners that are, you know, you know, often you get that you see those damaged on suitcases. Mm-hmm. That does yes. not seem to be happening with my away luggage. It is in uh, really good condition. Yeah. My favorite thing is still the removable battery pack. Um, it's basically my only removable battery that I own. That is my emergency charger in many, many situations. 
Yeah, I remember being very jealous of your uh, removable, <laughs> uh, battery re- removable capabilities because when, when my uh, products were all dying and I did not have a European adapter, that was a, a simple solution for how you could stay uh, powered and charged. Uh, until that you? ran out, of course. I should have lended it to you, right? You did. Oh. That's, that's how I, st- I kept my phone charged. I did not buy a European adapter. I just Brilliant. stole your, your charging equipment. So Away suitcases are designed to last a lifetime. So if your mm-hmm. suitcase breaks, Away's customer service team will arrange to have it fixed or replaced. There's also a 100-day trial on everything that Away makes. You can essentially buy a suitcase, see what you think of it for 100 days, and if, you do not, if you're not happy with it, no ifs, ands, or asterisks, you can mm-hmm. send it back. Um, Away also offers free shipping and returns on any order within the contiguous United States, Europe, Canada, and Australia. Does that mean bad luck to Alaskans and Hawaiians? I think it does, right? So 48 of the 50 states um, get free shipping and returns. Um, so start your, your risk-free 100-day trial and shop the entire Away lineup of travel essentials, including their best-selling suitcases, at awaytravel.com slash TSS. Awaytravel.com slash TSS. The link will be in the show notes. Daryl, well done. Uh, I will say thank you to Away Travel, and I will say uh, thank you to our final two questioners. The first one from Jackie Choi. Uh, Son Kyung Min would improve quite a few top Champions League qualifying soccer teams. Why don't any teams come in for him or after him? As a Korean-American, I think it's at least in part that he's Korean and not Brazilian, English, German, or Spanish. But I'm wondering if there are also tactical reasons. I've got a few answers to this one, Mr. Grove. I've got two. Um, First of all, it is because he's Korean. But I don't think I don't think it's sort of any prejudice against Korean players. I think it's Agreed. because as a Korean, he is not a European Union player. So, for example, if you're at Spurs and you want to go to a bigger team, one of your options is to go to like Barcelona or Real Madrid, right? I think Son Heung Min could actually succeed at Barcelona or Real Madrid. They already have players in place, right? Like Real Madrid have Aiden Hazard in that left-sided attacking role. But also, as we, we mentioned this earlier, right, when we're talking about Americans, mm-hmm. um, La Liga teams can only have three non-EU players on the roster. They are not going to use one of those non-EU spots on Son Heung-min. They usually would use it on a player of very, very, very high profile, as mm-hmm. opposed to just very high profile, like Neymar instead of someone like Son Heung-min. Right, So yeah. I think that's the reason he's not moving to a team like Barcelona or Real Madrid. The other reason I think is that he's already a, a really big team that pays him a lot of money. Right, yeah. Sun Heung-min earns £7.28 million per season. That's £140,000 per week. There are only so many teams who can match that salary. So what, Bayern Munich could, but that's a big, big ask, right? Because Bayern Munich already have a lot of high-profile wingers and attackers. Other Premier League teams, but Spurs aren't going to sell him to Man United, Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal. Spurs aren't going to willingly sell one of their best players to another English team. Or one of their worst players or one of their players who doesn't want to be there. That is a huge part of it is that Spurs don't want to sell their players and will make it intentionally difficult for that to happen. Oh, for any players to anyone. Yes, that's true, right? That has been the history of Spurs recently. Yeah. Yeah. To the point where they'll just get Christian Eriksen to run his contract down to six months and then take some money for it. Right, and even I mean, but I, example, I, I genuinely, if, if Son yeah. Heung-min, one option would be to go to Juventus, maybe. But they've got Cristiano Ronaldo op- op- operating in that sort mm-hmm. of I'm a striker, but I'm also a left-sided striker situation. They're not going to replace Cristiano Ronaldo with Son Heung-min, right? Just because he's slightly, slightly better. Yeah, I mean, I know there were so many Spurs fans after last season who were worried that someone was going to go and Harry Kane was going to go. And I think a big reason why we didn't see more consistent links with other teams is because if you can't get Christian Eriksen, who does not want to be there, or Toby Alderweireld, who does not want to be there, 
there's no way you're getting Harry Kane or Son Heung-min without an insane offer that most teams are not going to want to uh, to put in. And then, yeah, the teams that can are, I think, are already strong enough or want to commit those financial resources elsewhere or have players who sort of fill those spots. So I think that that is a big reason why he hasn't moved. I do have a couple more things, but I, I, I jumped in on yours, so I didn't want oh, to cut you off entirely. Well, one final thing is, the, I think the core of Jackie's question is that there are Champions League qualifying soccer teams mm-hmm. that Jackie's saying aren't coming in for Son Heung-min. And it's mm-hmm. true that there are teams who will be in the Champions League next season, whereas Spurs will not. But Spurs are still a bigger team that can pay more money, mm-hmm. even though... Um, let's say RB Leipzig will pro- will be in the Champions League next season, right? RB Leipzig cannot spend the money or don't, don't traditionally spend the money and don't pay the wages that would get Son Heung-min to leave Spurs yep. to go to RB Leipzig. If anything, the deal would go in the opposite direction, even with Spurs not in the Champions League. It's just yep. one of the weird things of there's so much money in English football and there's only four Champions League spots and there's like way more than four teams that um, are big enough to be in the Champions League. That you can't just say because a team in Germany or Italy or somewhere else has qualified for the Champions League, they're a more attractive proposition than playing for Spurs, especially not financially. Yeah, yeah, uh, I would agree with all that. I would uh, add I rest a couple my more things. Uh, accepted. Uh, the other things in terms of him uh, being Korean, I would say in addition to what you you brought up about the uh, non-EU players, the only other issue I, could, I would like say was maybe factored in was that up until recently we weren't sure if he was going to have to go do mi- military service, which is compulsory, and so yes. maybe that was an obstacle that teams didn't want to have to deal with. From a like um, like lazy racism narrative, uh, which which is I think what uh, Jackie is getting at that like maybe there's a stigma about bringing in a Korean versus a Brazilian or a German or something like that. I, I think if we're talking about again like lazy racist approaches, I think if anything the idea of Asians playing football is that they're really hard workers and they're very disciplined. That that tends to be like when you hear lazy commentators talk about Japan playing, they're always very disciplined and well organized and they're all sacrificing for the team. That seems to be the sort of lazy like uninformed generic way to talk about like Asian footballers. And so I think that is sort of what they're, he would oh, be seen as, as opposed then not to like not star, good enough. Then they're not star flashy players that exactly. you would therefore spend a lot of money on. Well, or, or just even that, like, I don't think that there's a stigma about like, oh, he's not good enough. It's like, think about like, I think like he would come to mind. Park Ji Sung would come to mind. Even uh, Kagawa, like when he was successful at Manchester United. I think that those are the players that have established the reputation. I would say like Americans are seen as worse players than uh, a Korean or a Japanese player when it comes to like the average English lad in a pub, if that makes sense. Yeah, but the average English lad in the pub doesn't mm-hmm. make the transfer decisions, right? So it's almost irrelevant what those drunk people think. It is. It is. Unless you're... I'm if, you let, to think, uh, if you let those people make decisions, then you get Brexit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think, it, I think it's mostly that it comes down to Tottenham not wanting to sell their players, especially not their best players, and sort of always making that a difficult proposition. It's also the case that only this season has it sort of not been fun to play at Tottenham. Yeah, that's true. Uh, very recently, they've had a lot of success, and it's been Pochettino being very exciting and that team being very thrilling, and he's probably been enjoying himself. We don't know if he's not enjoying himself under Jose Mourinho, uh, but I think that that is also a that, big part of why, is that he, we haven't heard that he's unsettled or wants out or wants to move or wants to try something elsewhere. It seems to be that he is there for the long haul. That will be the interesting thing with Son Heung-min, right? It'll be yep. if he see Because he is a big, big name at this point, right? And I think yep. there are a lot of teams that would want him to to play for them. 
I think if he sees that Spurs are spiralling downwards or he doesn't enjoy playing under Mourinho or he doesn't see the, Mar- the way Mourinho plays being successful, there'll come a point where Son Heung-min will start saying, I deserve to play yep. in the Champions League. I, yeah. I don't need to be at this team that reached its peak when we made the Champions League final that one year and it's been downhill ever since. So I don't know what's going on with Son Heung-min and his agents and everybody else, but I would imagine it's yep. kind of a wait-and-see situation, right? Is I think this, as soon as he says, I want out... out teams are coming for him. Yeah, but then where does he go, right? Will someone try and strong-arm Spurs into selling? I mean, I think it's any... I mean, honestly, with the way things are going, Newcastle. <laughs> like, like, if they come in with the money that they're going to have, uh, yeah, if that move ends up going through, I think a, a team that have the resources... And really, that would be a very smart signing. If, if you are the new owners of Newcastle, you want to show a statement of intent I, to just spend all the money on Son to show that like we, we now have the spending power that eclipses Tottenham. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a thing that we saw rumored. I wouldn't do it if I was Son. That would like being... It would be like... Like being the new Michael Owen when he when he went and played for Newcastle, I actually yeah. think a better move would be um, back to Germany with Bayern Munich, right? Because he's already played in the Bundesliga, and if they ever do need a left-sided attacker, I think Song Hyung Min would fit the profile. Yep. Or maybe if Milan are really, if they're gonna, I think Ranić is almost official at this point, right? If Ralph Ranić has familiarity with Song Hyung Min and likes him, and he's part of the big Milan rebuilding project, maybe that's a place that Song Hyung Min yep. could go. Yeah. All right. I, we should move we, on because we, we nearly are out of time. Right? Man, Tottenham fans are not enjoying this conversation. Yeah, let's move on to the last question, which comes from Shade Johnson. Uh, my question is, what's happening with Zach Steffen these days? <laughs> so, Taylor, correct me if I'm wrong. My understanding is Zach Steffen, his loan with Fortuna Dusseldorf is at an end. Mm-hmm. Claudio Bravo's contract with Manchester City is at an end. And so next season, Zach Steffen will be the backup to Ederson at Manchester City. Yes. Yeah, that That's is that basically is, it, right? That is. He returned to training in June, but was uh, certainly not in a fit enough uh, situation to be able to play those final couple games uh, with Fortuna being relegated. There had previously been some talk that maybe there would be another loan and he would go back there and get more time with them dropping into uh, the two Bundesliga, the Zwei Bundesliga. Uh, that seems incredibly unlikely, uh, barring some sort of uh, strange situation or strange financial decision. I don't think that they would have the resources to do that. I don't think he would want to go play in, this, in the two Bundesliga. So, uh, yeah, I think that is very much off the table, which means, yeah, I think he's probably going to stay at Man City and be that number two, and we'll see him in the League Cup. Basically, yeah, we'll see him in the EFL Cup. We'll see him in select Champions League games, I would imagine. And, and we'll see him if Edesin gets injured, because that's yep. always a possibility, right? Unfortunately, as US men's national team fans, that's, we'll kind of be hoping for an Edesin suspension or at least minor injury to see Zach Steffen play first-team football for Manchester City. It might become a problem if we've got World Cup qualifying coming up and Zach Steffen like, hasn't played in two months. You know what I'm saying? We could, we could have a thing to worry about here is that we I have, mean, like, the Sergio Romero of goalkeepers. See, that's the thing, is that he's been starting for Argentina the yeah. entire time he's been the number two at Manchester United. And what have they won in that time? Not a lot, right? Yeah, it's so, definitely him. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely, I, I just, I think that, like, I, I don't mean this to, I'm not saying this to be discourteous to goalkeepers, but I think that is a position where, yes, certainly you need the match day experience, you want as much experience as you can, but it is not the same to me as a forward who... Uh, does the training and then sits on the bench for every single game and never gets to play. Like, I, I don't have I, I agree as much concern yeah. if he is sitting on the bench for Manchester City and getting those occasional appearances. What would be much more disconcerting is, let's say, 
uh, first game of the season, Adairson tears his ACL and is out. And then all we hear about is how Man City are desperate to sign a replacement. That would be me nervous because that feels like they're using him as a sort of like, yeah, if things go wrong, then we've got him if we need to, if, if Adairson needs a rest. But then if something actually went wrong and they were immediately exploring like emergency loan options or other signings, that shows uh, you maybe where he is in the pecking order. I, I find your lack of confidence disturbing. <laughs> hey, man, it's my job to worry about everything that happens with the U.S. national team at all times. All I'll say is if Zach Steffen is sitting on the bench for an extended period, I think Brad Gazan will be rubbing his gloves and maybe rubbing his bald head and thinking about maybe I could be the U.S. men's national team starting keeper again. I mean, uh, yeah, I think it's it's certainly, it is Zach Steffen's position to lose, but it yeah. is not the way it was with, say, Tim Howard, where if Tim Howard was, was fit, no matter what his situation, we knew he was going to play. <laughs> I, it's certainly stitch not the, that level. Stitch that adductor together, we'll get someone else to take the goal kicks, send him out there. Pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All right. Did that actually happen? I feel like that might have actually happened. That actually happened. All right. On that very sad note, uh, we will end oh by saying we'll be back tomorrow. We will talk uh, Chelsea versus Norwich, at least as far as Christian Pulisic is involved. And we will talk about US men's national team players and their possible transfers in the upcoming window, which looks like it's going to go to like October the 5th, um, mm-hmm. is what UEFA are asking for. Um, but yeah, that's quite an exciting show, I think, to talk about US national team players on the move, both potentially and imaginarily. Right, we're going to go into the Imaginarium to come up with some of the transfers that we that we want to see. If you have questions for us, we'll probably be doing more listener questions shows in the near future. Please send them to totalsoccershow.com slash questions. Taylor, any uh, final words before I bid you goodbye? Yeah, I'm going to be in the Dreamatorium, not the Imaginarium, but that's the only difference. Okay, we'll, we'll meet in the break room, the adjoining Sounds break good. room. All right, Sounds good. Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. Right back at you, buddy. Listeners, thank you for listening, and we will be back again tomorrow. I have clicked. All right. I also have clicked. Do you want to also do a simultaneous 3 2 1 that yeah. we can try and line up? Okay. Um, yeah let's just get yeah count together all right three two one not quite (laughs) that's close enough though is it all right you say so um yeah we'll, we'll be good we'll be good okay i'm definitely recording things look great you're definitely recording correct yeah you're at like 34 seconds right now I'm at 36 now, and now it's at 37. I've moved to 38. I'm on 39. Keep keep me updated. Sure, I will. Throughout the show. (laughs) Me just slowly counting in the background. Yes, please. (laughs) Definitely. Um, (laughs) All right, are you ready to go? It's at 51 now. Thanks, Dad.